This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. I'm Alexander Van Odom, a third year MARC student at Columbia GSAP. I'm speaking with Felicia Davis in advance of her lecture at the school on September 13th, 2018. Felicia Davis is an assistant professor at the Stuckman Center for Design Computing in the School of Architecture and Landscape Architecture at Pennsylvania State University, and where she directs SoftLab. Among other projects, she develops computational textiles that have the potential to be used in lightweight shelters and transform how we communicate, socialize, and use space. Thank you for speaking with me today. Yeah, sure. I'm very excited to do so. Uh, We're excited to have you. Um, And to start with, your work's all about making and... In the past three years at the school, we've really developed a culture of making, I think. And I wanted to ask you, even technically, how you approach the process of making a, a new textile. And like, is it always analog? Is it machine based? Is it kind of all the things, depending on what you're working on? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I would say um, that the making that I've done, it depends on the team of people that I'm working with. So. Each computational textile is usually a kind of interdisciplinary arrival, so to speak. And so when you're making it, you're really developing with a team of people a language that you're speaking, um, defining what you mean by (laughs) when you're trying to do something, um, talking about the goals of the project. And so uh, making is really this kind of process that's different from team to team. It really depends on what people bring to the team. Um, The things that I think I bring to the team, uh, being an architect, is that I sketch and talk all the time, almost more than talking, just sketch and draw. Um, I love doing that. And also, because textiles are so tactile, having the stuff in hand is super important. And uh, having something to touch and figure out how it behaves uh, and playing around with it is for the course, I would say. There's, I've never made any textile without actually looking at the yarns and seeing how they behave and pulling them and like trying to sew with them or, um, you know, making sketches, other kinds of sketches, not necessarily drawing sketches, but sketches with yarns or threads that you put together to figure out what it's going to do in such, you know, such and such condition. And so the idea of a sketch really... Um, transforms as you work with people and work with material. So it's a huge and differentiated process, I would say. That's great. Do you kind of just um, broadly looking at your work, some textiles are dealing with a kind of existing textile that then gets applied with electronics or or wire or different sorts of things, but then there's a kind of performative textiles that you, it almost seems like you're beginning to knit or weave or like beginning to construct the textile itself. And like, um, does that just happen naturally between which direction you go, depending on the research you're going for? It really depends on the circumstances and and the amount of money we have too. And, and, um, there are different techniques. I would say more of what I've seen in terms of textile research in the United States uses um, pre-existing textiles and then if people are thinking with it computationally they 
add um, electronics or they try to work with the properties of the material, the natural properties of the material, to see what it can be done. If you have access to a textile machine or prototyping gear, like we have in SoftLab, we have a what I call the granny's you know, knitting machine. You sort of run it back and forth. It's like a carriage. You run it up and down the needles and you can knit something really quickly. Um, and we also have a couple of circular knitters. So there are some prototyping materials that we have or machines that we have that allow one to make one's own fabric. And that's really cool because the fabric is, you know, making a fabric is infinite. You can make it in an infinite number of ways. Um, you can include whatever kind of materials you want. You can experiment to like <laughs> ad infinitum. And so it's really wonderful to make your own material. It's very easy in textiles to begin to think about making your material because as soon as you pick up a piece of like yarn, you can see that it's twisted and that someone decided to make that twist, but you can make your own twist if you want and you can put your own stuff into it and you can make your own yarn. So I found that really cool and um, it's one of the things that made um, textiles very approachable. Yeah, that's exciting just to be able to, for anybody to pick up yarn and start and like create these amazing things, right? Like it's a low point of entry, which is exciting, especially like in this world where so many of our things have to be laser cut or like we have this expectation that things have to be complex. And um, so it's exciting to see that you can do both. You can get yeah. go both directions. Yeah. A lot of the skills people learn in their homes, right? Like growing up, like you you lose a button on your shirt and you got to sew it on, you have the skills to start thinking about how to fabricate things made out of textiles, right? So the craft of it is kind of, um, I would say for many of us, especially, and this may be a, a gender thing, but I grew up sewing with my aunt, right? I like, we used to take over our dining table and put a sewing machine, a couple sewing machines on either end, and then make our clothes. Um, for you know the summer for example and we just cut out a bunch of patterns stack all the pieces and then we'd like do the sewing hoot nanny thing <laughs> it would just be like sewing for days and we'd end up with like five or six little dresses of course I'm much smaller than I am now not as picky about my clothes but um, it it was for for growing up when I was growing up it was a kind of way of just relaxing and making and talking and what is like the community? So you're talking about like this community between your family making, like how does that translate into your lab now in terms of kind of multiple people gathering around to make a good or object or your research? Yeah, I would say um, in the lab, it's become a little bit different because of really um, what we're trying to do technologically and on my campus, uh, for example, when I talk about collaborators, some of them are down in the chemistry department, some of them are down in the engineering department, others are over in biology, and we're all split up across campus. And so, and so a lot of times um, you'll find that you start off making a piece and then you, you know, put the piece in a bag and then you walk down to EE or you walk over to chemistry and you have them look at it and they'll go, like kind of stretch it and pull it and go, eh, this is not working, and then you go back to your lab. I think that's really um, too bad and maybe suggests a potential restructuring of education, maybe mm -hmm. <laughs> not so uh, separated disciplinary, like into kind of these boxes in terms of discipline. And so 
um, you bring up a good point. I mean, your question is triggering in my mind, maybe using the idea of what we had um, back with my family, bringing people together and, you know, having a way to have a different kind of conversation about this other than having pieces walk around and go to meetings. And sometimes we meet all together. I mean, it has to happen. But it's very different from the type of meeting that we had, like, you know, growing up and, and sewing or sewing with friends or knitting with friends. Yeah, you're yeah. giving me ideas. No, it's, it's super exciting. <laughs> no. Yeah, because I think about um, collective craft is such an important thing in terms yeah. of, you know, so many things. And architecture is such a collaborative thing and like outside of architecture even. Um, so that's, it's really exciting. Actually, I was going to say, um, that was one of the things that kind of, when I first started architecture, I was really thrown off by, um, and this is years and years ago, <laughs> but I was really thrown off about um, coming and sitting at your desk for hours on end and working by yourself and then coming and then pinning up your stuff and then presenting it. That was like, whoa, because I was coming from engineering and in engineering we had um, these kind of study circles and we would get together we talk about the problem sets and we would like all right you take this problem and you work that out you over here you were explaining to us you take that problem work it out and then we'll all come back together and we'll go through each of them together so we all understand the concepts and so I was used to that way of working and so coming to architecture school was a little bit like wow you know and I think that recently this is transformed like I see now more team working in architecture and, and people um, connecting with other disciplines to, to make architecture and kind of trying to have a conversation. So I see it transforming and I know certainly where I am now that's definitely the case. Are you still teaching studios? Yeah, um, this semester I'm teaching a first year graduate studio and we're working on um, making molds for fiber composite panels. So we're basically going through and learning all the kind of digital fabrication skills, but also learning a little bit about fabric. Have you changed how you collaborate within your studios? Like are the projects group projects or are they individualistic? Right now they're individualistic because they really need to learn skills. Like you, you need to be taught how to, you know, work on Rhino. You have to do it by yourself at some point. And then, yeah, they're learning how to laser cut and CNC and digital scan and like all these things. And they kind of need to take that with them, have the body memory and just the kind of, you know, coordination to, to function on their own. But the next project they're getting is a collaborative project. So once they have some skills, then I think they can begin to converse and do something. That's great. Um, so much of your work has to do with the body and the relationship of kind of touch, sight, different senses, um, thinking about the body as kind of a holistic organ, it almost seems like, thinking. Um, I'm interested in your kind of almost human interface devices, so like your touch study and the way you explore touch both through touch and through sight, and um, the point where the um, you understanding how other people see that touch and sight actually informs how you think about humans work and how humans interact and then how that can actually affect your design process. Yeah, I think I had been reading about kind of sensory perception in architecture 
and trying to understand it. But until I actually just kind of like tackled it, like said, okay, what is touch? What can we do with it? And worked on a project about that. I felt like it kind of went like over my head. And um, the reason for that is because, yeah, it's direct experience. Like you need to have the direct experience in trying to figure out what to do with it and then think about it theoretically and then think about how it um, can inform design. So I feel like I'm at the very beginning of this, really. Um, I One of my favorite kind of writers on this is Juhani Palasma, the architect, and he um, writes about this, you know, his famous book is The Skin of the Eyes, and I read that book and I, I really loved it the first time I read it and I kept reading it, but I, I felt like I didn't really get it until I started to actually work with touch itself, and then I was like, whoa, this is really complex, it's about memory, it's about people making these kind of um, connections in their own brains and, and forming their own body body memories and actually you can't really essentialize it you can use it as a way of um, making some kind of guiding principles but you can never really get it down to the kind of nitty-gritty in which one would think you could with an experiment so my experiments were like yeah I see how you could use it but then it also took away what I was hoping that oh we could tell what this sense of touch means or what that sense of touch means or what that shape that texture might mean to someone you can't really do that you each person carries with them their own kind of personal encyclopedia although there are some things that link us all together but I don't know what those things are yet I, I feel like I'm just starting on that yeah it's a huge subject and it's yeah. really deep um when you talk about experiment the difference in experiment and like mm -hmm design or experiment and study and like do you because you're working kind of across these spectrums how do you think about them or are they all the same um they're definitely not the same and i think your question really talks about going in between disciplines and kind of framing things from different like points of view so um, an experiment, when I use the word experiment, I'm talking about science and really trying to frame a hypothesis and frame a boundary around the things that I'm looking for. Um, on the other hand, with design, I would say that often looking at design, I'm trying to frame, like figure out what the problem is, to, to look at the context in the first place. So, and also I would say those words they are not the same thing, but there's a kind of fluidity to them, like being able to cross back and forth um, is of interest to me. And um, using the idea of experiment sometimes, and then the idea of design other times, as you move through a project, um, I find um, enriching and, and helpful. So, but you're absolutely right, they're not the same <laughs> thing. I think design has its own processes and methods and um, things that are important to the ways in which design works and are designerly, which is different from a scientific kind of moving through, even though um, I think these two disciplines or disciplines in science and disciplines in design can have some overlap. They're not the same. When you were um, specifically thinking about your felt kind of 
um, touch study again. Mm-hmm. When you approached that, or when you designed potentially that experiment, how um, you had these kind of four, this is a specific question, but you had the four different um, animal kind of abstract yeah. things. How did you create the initial abstractions from the animal? Actually, what I did was um, do some sketches and then began to think about how this inexpensive material that I had quite an abundance of <laughs> could work with these sketches and, and also with the pictures that I was looking at. And I had been thinking also, I kind of got the animal idea, the kind of animal response idea from Darwin. And he had these really interesting drawings in his book. Uh, I believe the book is called um, The Expressions of Emotion in Man and Animals. And he wrote it in 1872 and he has these pictures of like cats with their hair, you know, on end and then like birds with their feathers all ruffled. And he talks about um, what he learned from them. And, and so I was inspired by that and went to find pictures, of course, online, Google, and then began to do sketches and then build these pieces. I guess we should wrap up, but any last thought or modes of encouragement or you know ideas you would share for both a student either beginning their career or somewhere in the middle? Um, it's really vague, but... <laughs> I would say, um, just to return to your, one of your first questions, to, to work in conjunction with other people, I would say, is super important as an architecture student. Um, and maybe try some things that you think are related to architecture, but you're not quite sure how yet, and to kind of go on a limb um, to figure them out. There's so many different um, phenomena going on right now that I think belong to architecture, but we're not quite sure of how to grapple with them within the kind of core of architecture. So I think uh, that might be something that I would encourage people to to look at and to think about. Can I ask as a follow-up what some of those might be? Yeah, like, um, well, for example, the work that I'm doing with these computational textiles, just the whole um, idea of transparency, for example. If you can now swallow something in your body and now a doctor can track your physiology inside, then I think the whole idea of transparency, which is kind of fundamental architectural problem, has to be rethought through these kind of mediating tools. Like suddenly I think that is part of um, what we can think about as architects. Yeah, that's an amazing broadening of our kind of even already broad discipline, which is kind of exciting that we can just keep bringing in ideas. Yeah, I think, although there are probably uh, people that would say, well, we've got too many ideas already. We need to cut cut some down. And so I have to say, I go back and forth between, you know, what is part of architecture and and when do you go too far away from it and it becomes something else? Um, I'm not sure how to answer that question, but I think it's an interesting conversation that we should be having now, we can have now. That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.